Good morning. My name is Abe Daniel, and if you are scared right now that I'm not supposed to be up here, they let me on the stage. It's awesome. My name is Abe. I serve as a senior pastor across town at Trinity Life Center, and I have had the privilege to gather this weekend and spend it with you here at Bridgeway as a invited guest. And so I want to just say thank you for allowing me. I've had the privilege of being connected with this church since I became a pastor about five years ago in this city and have just been in awe of what God is doing and is continuing to do through you here at Bridgeway. I feel a special bond with this church based upon my relationships with some of your pastors. Both Bishop Loveless and Pastor Lance have become dear friends. And in the connection points that I've had with them, I have been in awe of the leadership that you are under. And I just want to say congratulations to you and I'm grateful that you're here. And let me just pause and say, if you are new to Bridgeway today, can I just encourage you, please come back. It's never going to be this bad ever again. Can I do it that way? I am in awe of what God allows you to be under in leadership. Any time that I have connected with the leaders that I have been associated with through Bridgeway, it has just been life-giving for my life. Pastor Lance and Bishop Loveless, just just looking at them, can I just tell you just a couple things? You may already know them, but I'm learning it, and the more I've been around them this weekend, I have been in awe of it. First, both of them are incredibly tall. Not just in comparison to me, but just in general. They are just very tall. And secondly, they have very distinct and such unique speaking voices. I love to hear them speak. When Bishop Loveless actually says the word beloved, mm, I just tune in. That's just, that's just of God. And then Pastor Lance, do you know you have a pastor who has a sports broadcaster's voice that speaks scripture to you? That's just amazing. That is phenomenal. And so I say all that to say, I want to encourage you to come back. And secondly, I also want to say, if you are looking at me and you escaped Trinity and now you're stuck with me right now, man, I would love to re-say hello to you in the lobby today. That would just be great. We have sent a lot of disgruntled people to this church, so it's it's so nice. I'm not joking. But anyway... I'd like you to grab your Bible and turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 30. I have the privilege this morning of sharing on what I would call a life, le- life message of mine. It's associated with this theme of fog. And I've titled our time together, When the Fog Lifts. Will you say that out loud? When the fog... Wonderful. As I began to think about just again my connection with Bridgeway, Pastor Lance came into my life at a very unique season. It was a couple of years ago that I was going through some difficult chapters in our church's history and one of the difficulties was walking through major budget cuts. I went to Bible college, I graduated, and I've learned a lot of things that Bible college did not prepare me about the role that I have today. And as I was sitting there, literally hours before I saw him in a meeting, I was trying to figure out and praying and then studying how we as a church could cut a quarter of a million dollars off of our annual operating budget. For those of you that don't know how to do that, welcome to my world. I didn't know either. And I walked into a meeting and Pastor Lance was sitting there. He had arrived early and he had a folder. And as he was looking through the folder, he had spreadsheets. Now, it's never a good thing when you see a pastor with spreadsheets out, right? And I looked at him and I said, what are you doing? And he said, I need to cut some of our budget. And I instantly was excited, not because this church was in crisis, but because somebody understood where I was at. 
And as we had dialogue and conversation, the greatest joy was beginning to see and learn from his experience and the journey that this church was in the midst of. It helped bring comfort to me. And what I would tell you is that fog that had rested over my life in that season began to naturally lift. Every one of us in this room have gone through fog moments, not just naturally as we've been driving, but also spiritually and supernaturally. We have encountered different moments of crisis and, and chaos. And what I've learned about fog moments is that it has caused familiar paths that I have taken to now become confusing. When fog sets in, the norm now becomes the abnormal. And in those moments, we seek relief. As a guy who was growing up and going through different seasons of life, I can remember in Bible college, while I was going through my Bible college years, I was commuting back and forth between my hometown, the town of Gilroy, California. It's the garlic capital of the world, and it stinks, and I love it. In this small little town, I would drive back and forth every day from Santa Cruz to Gilroy and back and forth every single day. And every time that I would get on the road, I would take this tiny little highway. This highway was called Highway 152. And it was about in the midst of that highway was an eight-mile stretch of which it was constant curves. I had a 1983 Mazda RX-7, and I could take those curves like none other. I would, every time I would jump onto that highway, I would see if I could beat my past time across the little mountaintop, which is a testimony that I'm here today. Can I just say that? <laughs> Average speed was about 25 miles an hour, and I could do it. My fastest in an eight-mile stretch was just around nine minutes. That's ridiculous. That's not of God, and it's illegal as well. <laughs> but the day that changed was the day that fog set in, and I can remember it vividly as I was taking a familiar path Fog had set in. And as the fog rested, it caused my familiar journey to now become unfamiliar. What I knew to be my norm of every curve that I formerly could do, literally like the back of my hand, I knew it well. It now caused the familiar to become confusing and somewhat chaotic. As a result, when I got to the peak of that summit, you would have hoped that there would have been a little bit of reprieve. And instead, I came into contact with a deer. Now, I had watched many movies and I had not remembered. I knew that either deer were either blind or deaf, but I couldn't remember. So I start flashing my brights and honking my horn, hoping that something would change. I did not know if I had enough side on the left or my right. On the right-hand side was a cliff, but I could not tell how much space. Why? Because fog changed my perspective. I say that to say this to you, that some of you have come into this house and you're so overwhelmed with life and crisis and chaos because of where you are at. Some of you have been in a fog and you are now coming out. Some of you are in the middle of a fog and you do not know which way is up or down. And some of you are feeling wonderful right now and you assume life is great and you have no clue that in the next few days, weeks, months, you'll be entering a fog season. My prayer is this, that you will hear not just my words, but rather the story that is associated with life change based upon what God has for us today. That this would be a day in which you can understand that His intention is not for you to remain in fog, but rather for the fog to lift. I love history and I love to study elements of history. One of the dates that are associated with history is the year 1815. It's a date that's connected with the Battle of Waterloo. 
For those that don't know much of this, this was the battle in which the French forces under the leadership of Napoleon were coming to head with what was known then as the only chance that England had. It was associated with the Duke of Wellington. The Duke of Wellington was England's last hope to find some kind of relief from the tyrant rule of Napoleon. When Napoleon had returned to power in 1815, uh, history notes that there were so many people that were frustrated and fearful because of his rule. And it was the Battle of Waterloo that would become the greatest battle, making a final determination and changing the course of history. And for England, the Duke of Wellington was their last hope. On June 18th, Wellington pulled all of his forces together to rise up against Napoleon, who was wiping all of them out. The momentum was upon Napoleon's side. And as a result, they came to battle. And as they met at Waterloo, they battled all day. In those days, there was no such thing as instantaneous news updates. There was no such thing as breaking news. And so people who needed some kind of message that would give them an update actually had to go and wait in the city central area. And in this setting at the West, uh, at the Winchester Cathedral, there was a signal tower on top of the cathedral in which a tower signal agent would take and receive the message and then begin to spell the words out so that the people would have their update related to the battle. At about 4 p.m. On, in the, on that particular day in 1815, the message began to come in and the letters were spelled out and the letters that were spelled out for the, the nation of England was that Wellington defeated. Those were the two words that were able to be spelled out and then the fog settled in. News began to spread throughout the city and the villages that were close around. The people and their hearts began to sink and think with fear. There was weeping. There was wailing. Some went into hysterics because Napoleon had defeated their last hope. It was their last chance to overcome him and the message that they had received, Wellington defeated. And it continued, as, as history says, for two hours. And after two hours, the fog began to lift. And as the fog began to lift, they were able to read the remainder of the message. And it read, Wellington defeated the enemy. For two hours, there was an entire nation that had spread into different cities and regions and little towns that lived under the wrong context and wrong perspective. And it placed fear into them. It placed discouragement, doubt, and even failure. In fact, they were actually not defeated. They were victorious. There should have been great celebration. And yet because of fog, all they could see was defeat, discouragement. Fog changed their perspective. They lost true perspective. How many of you already know where we get to go today? And as I began to look at this in relation to my life, I've been a victim of different fog moments. I stand here today not to say that I've figured it out. I can tell you that I continue and it feels like in my life I go from fog moment to fog moment to fog moment. And many of you can relate to that as well. Today I want you to hear me if you don't hear anything else. What is formerly been familiar has now in some cases become confusing because fog sets in. As I've spent the last 20 plus years trying to speak and hear and, and have conversations based upon pastoral ministry. 
I've learned that fog causes our familiar to become confusing. Fog causes our confidence to become uncertain. Fog causes our strength to become weak. Fog prevents us the actual vision and actual clarity that we need. Regardless of where you're at today, my prayer is that you and I will understand what it means to allow the fog to lift in our life. Scripture gives us in this room an experience where we can apply it to our own life as a template of how to navigate and move beyond the fog. First Samuel chapter 30 says it this way in verse 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. Can I just pause and say the word Carmelite? You know what that makes me think of? Starbucks. (laughs) Sounds really good right now. And Nabal the Carmelite had also been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abithathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abithathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And this last part of verse 8 is where I want to rest for the time that we're together. And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. Today I want to share with you what it means to have life beyond our fog. We bow in prayer with me today before we continue. Father, we thank you for this day and this privilege of gathering. Lord, I thank you for this chance and opportunity to share your word. Now I ask that you'll open our hearts to receive what you have for us individually. Open our ears so they're attentive to hear the words that you want for our lives. Open our eyes, Lord, so that we're not distracted by things around us, but by your presence that's here. And open our minds, Lord, to absorb and eventually apply it to our daily walk. I thank you, Lord, and give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I've read this passage multiple times, and every time I read it, I always enjoy something that literally jumps off the page for me. You see, this group of leaders that is being referenced in this passage, they're not a normal group of people. It's not just like me sitting here and going through another difficult moment. The individuals in this passage were literally the best of the best. These were the top warriors, the top leaders of a nation. And at their helm was David. David, who's king of Israel now. This is the same David who was on the backside of a desert fighting off lions and bears trying to keep sheep safe. This is the same David who took on Goliath. This is not the guy that we would ever assume was afraid of anything. And yet now in this moment, we see a very different perspective. Why? Fog had set into his life. He was so clouded in judgment because he could not see past the potential of defeat. This group, his enemy, the Amalekites, they had torched the entire city of Ziklag. And David and his men returned to this smoke-filled vacant city as a region we have seen 
the haze of smoke rests upon our city over the last couple of weeks and months as fires have been fought in the northern part of our state. There have been many days where I've literally walked out and I can see the haze. There was a natural haze that I believe that filled that entire city that these men were in. But I also believe there was a spiritual haze that they could no longer see what God was doing because all that was in front of them were their present circumstances. The saddest part of this is that we see in verse 4, these men begin to weep. This is not a normal kind of weeping. It's a wailing. They are moaning. They are in agony. I don't know if you have ever come across somebody who you believe to be so strong, but when you see them break and begin to tear or even cry, for me, it always brings me to instantaneous tears because what I assume to be strong has now shown some kind of frail, normal emotion. These individuals were now going through these emotions. And the natural thought is, who who do we blame? It's a leadership thing. They began to go after and spoke of stoning David. And the reason that they did was because he was in charge. That was my leadership nugget for myself. That if you choose to serve in leadership, not just in church, but in the corporate world, in business, your current positions, there's always a target that's going to be placed on and over your life. This was David's moment. And these individuals were going through it. There was a season where not only the smoke of the fires had settled in, but a fog that began to cloud their perspective. Eventually, I love this, David strengthens himself. He strengthens himself in the Lord. And he asks for the ephod. What is that? It was a tool, a device that they used, that the priests used to help determine the will of God. And he asked for it with the intention of trying to figure out what his next step was. I love that. He could not see clearly, but he still desired the will of God. And as he asked, shall I pursue? Shall I overtake? The Lord's response to him is the same response for you and I in the midst of crisis, in the midst of fog moments in your life and my life. It's the same mission. Pursue and overtake and without fail, recover all. Today, I want to break that passage down in these three areas. If you're taking notes, you can follow along with me. Number one is the word pursue. Will you say pursue? Pursue. Verse eight again says, and he answered him, pursue. One definition of the word pursue is to strive to gain, to seek to attain or accomplish. David was ordered to pursue the band of men that had caused him this great pain. He was charged with the mission of hunting them down and seeking them out. His faith was what supplied him an inward courage and comfort and strength as his resource. And it inspired confidence by ordering an immediate pursuit of his enemy, the Amalekites. Church, hear me. When the thick fog has set in over your life and you can no longer see the vision and the mission that God has for you, God is reminding those that he has called, those that he set apart, those of you and I who are his followers to simply continue the journey. We can't be paralyzed by our fear to keep going any longer. There has to be a journey in which we continue to pursue. I began to think about that word pursuit. And when I think about that word pursue, I naturally think and ask myself a question. What is the last thing that I have aggressively pursued? When I think about that, I naturally go back to a relationship. My wife and I, we have been married 19 years. We have three boys. Our oldest is 15 and twin twin boys that are now 10. You know what that means? We've not slept in a very long period of time. That's what that means. 
I began to think about the dating years, which was about three and a half years before we were actually married. And in that period, there was a consistent level of pursuit. What does that mean? My wife aggressively pursued me. That's what... You know why I can say that? She's not here right now. That means the media team and I need to adjust anything. Are we live right now? Facebook live? It's been good being with you. Thank you for that. The honest truth is the opposite. It was my pursuit that became aggressive. Pursuit is something that most of us, once we feel that we have accomplished it, you know, our natural tendency, we begin to ease off. My fear is that there is a pursuit that many of us have begun. We cross a threshold and the natural tendency is, I've done that, now I can begin to ease off. There is a pursuit that's required for you and I in the things of God that's different and we can't see it in the midst of our crisis and our chaos and the issues we're battling. And even in the midst of all that, the word that God has for us is not to stop. It's not to wait. It's not to rest. It's to pursue and continue what he has called you, even though you can't see which direction is up or down. Fog prevents us the ability to pursue with confidence. Fog causes any pursuit to naturally become slow. Today, I want to challenge you and I today to pursue with great fervor, knowing he is with us. Number one is the word pursue. Number two is the word overtake. Will you say overtake? Overtake. Verse 8 says, And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall overtake them. The definition of the word overtake is to catch up with in traveling or pursuit, or to move ahead of in achievement, production, score, to surpass. David's pursuit did not begin when it was convenient, when he felt a warm, fuzzy feeling. This was a man who assembled 600 leaders and instantly 200 dropped off saying, we're not doing that. How would you like to begin a journey and a third of your crowd says, I'm out of here, forget that. You know, it's happened to me over and over in leadership moments. And it's my moment of realization that there is a journey that you and I have. It's not enough just to pursue. We have a mission to overtake. And I can't wait until I feel good about what is coming next. I'm reminded about Scripture, and Scripture helps me understand it with the theme of procrastination. If there is such a thing as a pictorial dictionary of the word procrastination, my face would have been there during my college years. I was the ultimate procrastinator. Can I just say this to you? I waited for things to be perfectly lined up and because of that missed out on many of the things that God intended for my life. My realization, my wake-up moment came the day I read and reread a passage related to the life of Abraham. Abraham, who had been promised a son, now has his son. And he is asked to sacrifice his son, his promise, his joy, the birthright for his future, what a nation would eventually become. And it says that he didn't wait till it was convenient. He didn't wait until everything was lined up before he actually acted upon what God asked of him. It says early the next morning. You know what that means? He didn't wait for this all to feel right. He knew what God had spoken and he immediately took action. 
Some of us understand that. We have crisis, we have chaos, we have situations that we're navigating, and yet we wait for things to line up. And today there is a different message for us. We can't wait because fog has set in. There is a mission you have. There is a vision God has given you. Pursue and overtake. And as you overtake, it's not about who is the one that we're battling. I look at the word enemy and I don't naturally think about people that don't like me. Why? Everyone likes me. That's such a lie. That's not true. You know what though? I don't lose sleep over those that have been frustrated by me or are irritated by me or even offended. I ask forgiveness all the time. But I say this to you that there is an enemy that does keep my focus so that I can understand truly where the battles need to be won and fought. And it has nothing to do with the brothers and sisters inside the church. It has nothing to do with those outside the church. It has everything to keeping focus that there is an enemy that is out. And as scripture says, he's there to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's his mission. When I begin to understand who Satan is, the devil itself, that title, that name, devil, means accuser. He's the one that is accusing God's people before the very throne of God. That's what Revelations 12 says. The name Satan means adversary because he is the enemy of God. He's called a tempter in Matthew chapter 4. He's a murderer and the liar in John 8. He's compared to a lion in 1 Peter. He's a serpent in Genesis 3 as well as Revelation 12. And his singular mission is to take you and I out. And yet the vision that God has given us to continue in the midst of fog moments is to pursue and overtake this enemy. Why? Because God has something more for you and I. And he's the one that goes with us. Number one is the word pursue. Number two is the word overtake. And lastly, number three, it's recover all. Say recover all. That phrase recover all simply defined is to find, to regain, or to retrieve. If you skip over to verse 17, we see the recovery moment that David experiences. It says in verse 17, And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. Do you know if that's where it ended, it would have been the greatest victory? And it doesn't end there. Verse 20 says this, David also captured all the flocks and herds and the people drove back the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. Not only was everything returned from the enemy, not only was it all back, but there is more that was available. He had captured the bounty. He had seized what was now referred to as David's spoil. You and I have think that we, we assume that we've lost. We assume that we have lost all of it. The assumption is there's no more hope. There's no more to regain. And I want you to know that our Father's message is identical to what is in this passage. That you think it's all gone, but He has a desire for you to recover all. Not just what you've lost, but there's a bounty that's beyond what you think is lost. Our Father's message for you today is that you and I will recover all. Not just what you lost, but a greater abundance. What the enemy intended for harm or as grief over your life, God has allowed it to be a blessing with a promise that is an above and beyond blessing for your life. 
Most of us in this room would agree with me. Fog causes us to see natural things that are now confusing. Issues that now cause the norm to be abnormal. I can tell you in my life that there have been multiple times where fog has set in and changed my perspective to become clouded. It was 20 years ago, just a couple months ago, I celebrated 20 years of being able to have a fog lift out of my life. 20 years ago, I was in a setting and season of my life where at the beginning, I felt like I was invincible. I had just graduated from Bible college and a church was crazy enough to pay me to do what I had been volunteering to do. It was awesome. I couldn't believe they were crazy enough to do that. It was great. At that season, I began to thank the Lord for His blessing in my life. I began to give Him thanks for the family that He had sent to me. I have a godly family and a great heritage and that was uh, something to celebrate. I was so excited. I had just asked for permission to receive the blessing from my parents to eventually propose and receive the blessing from my now wife's family for their blessing over our future marriage. It felt invincible as it related to my season. I remember receiving a phone call from a dear friend of mine and he said, hey, a group of us are going to go golf. Can I just tell you, I love this game of golf, but I'm lousy at it. I stink, but I'm very competitive. And so if it means I have to cheat to win, I'll do it. You know why? It's okay to do that because we were friends. And a friend of mine said, we are going golfing today. And I laughed. And I, I remember hanging up the phone and literally feeling, some of you remember that old scene from Titanic where the character stands at the edge of the ship and he goes, I'm the king of the world. And then the ship goes down, right? It's really not a good way to start your day off. I felt like that. I was on top of the world. I remember getting out to the golf course that night and there are seven friends. Most of them are pastors. Let me just pause and tell you, if you've not hung out with more than one pastor in the same setting, something bad always happens when more than one pastor is together. And that should have been my key. You know what? I need to leave because there's one too many guys here. That's just, that's just bad. But we went and we started playing. We played the first hole. It's a short hole, which meant that it was called a par three. And if you don't know what that means in golf, I'm still learning it. But that means that the average golfer should be able to get that ball from the beginning to the end in the cup in three strokes, hopefully less, possibly more if you're not good. Everyone else in my group got a three or a four. And as I hit the ball straight, it does what it still does to this day. It went to the right. It went into a field and it hit a cow. I was embarrassed, but I'm also cheap. I jumped the fence. I hit my ball. I did it. I finished. Everyone else gets a three or a four, which is not bad. I received a seven. In golf, that's not good. That's God's number and all, but that's not good for golf. And I'm angry and I'm frustrated because I want to win. I want to beat them all because they're my friends. And I want to win. And I remember going over to the next hole and I put my ball down on the little tee and I'm getting ready to hit. I grab the club and one of my friends yells out, hey, maybe you'll have better luck if we move that cow over here. (laughs) How many of you have those kind of friends in your life? I haven't spoken to them in 20 years, but you know, God bless them. In that moment, I grabbed my club and I pictured his face on it. And, and no, no joke. God is my witness. I hit the best shot of my life. I've never hit a shot like that ever again. 
Five wood, 240 yards, and for the first time it went straight. It went far. It went high in the air. It was the perfect shot. It landed on the green, rolled, and stopped 10 feet short of the actual hole. And I remember turning around, and I was so excited. I turned, and I was ready to yell at all of them, and I went, because <sighs> that's all that came out. I couldn't think of anything more brilliant than that. And I said, today is the last day I'll ever play this game because I will never have a shot like that again. And they said, no kidding. <laughs> and we got into a golf cart. My friend was driving. He was on the outside, on the left-hand side. My best friend was seated in the middle, and I was on the right-hand side. And we began to go down that hill. We have a video that helps you get the visual of what that actual hill was. And as we go down this hill, the natural law of gravity began to kick in. If you don't know what that means, it means as you go down, you'll gain momentum. And the more momentum you gain, the harder it is to control. And as a result, the driver did what any natural driver would do. He slammed on the brake. Well, a typical car that just brings it to a halt. But in a golf cart, if you slam on the brake, you actually will cause all four wheels to lock up. The hill brake prevents a vehicle from rolling down or up a hill. It gives you the ability of parking on inclines and slopes. And in that moment, as we hit the brakes, the cart flipped. And as the cart flipped, the driver was ejected to the left. The guy in the center was thrown to the middle. And I was thrown to the right, landing in that dirt patch. And the cart flipped twice and landed on top of me. Let me just pause and say, up until that moment, I had had a fairly decent day. When they removed the cart from me, everyone began to stare. I didn't understand what had happened. All I knew was I was, an incre- I was in an incredible amount of pain. And they moved that cart and they stared. One person began to pray. Another one called 911. Emergency personnel began to show up on the scene. And they all had the same look. Every time they would look at me, they would go like this. Ooh. Can I just encourage you? If you ever go up to an accident, you see a guy on the ground, don't make eye contact with them. Especially if that's going to be your face. Ooh. (laughs) It was a year and a half later that they described that my head was resting towards my chest. Can I just say, that's not natural. Tried to do it a couple times since. It doesn't work that way. I was airlifted from the golf course to a local hospital in the Bay Area. I was met by a neurosurgeon and multiple medical team members on the roof. And they introduced themselves and they said, we're going to do immediate tests to figure out what's wrong. All I knew was I was in a significant amount of pain. I was taken in and they did x-rays, they did CAT scans, they did MRIs. Finally, I was brought to a room. Let me just sit, pause and say, there was a part of me that knew this was going to be one of those days. And I was so excited because I'm a pastor and pastors look for sermon illustrations all the time. <laughs> And it was in that moment that I decided that I was going to enjoy the journey as much as I could. So I am doing my best to make people laugh, making it exciting. Medical personnel are coming in. What's wrong with that guy? He's just fun to be around. And we're having a great time as we're in this emergency room. Finally, the neurosurgeon comes back in and he says, Sir, we have figured it out. You have fractured your fourth vertebrae. I said, I don't know what that means. He said, well, we basically you broke your neck. I looked at the doctor. You got to remember, I'm a pastor looking for the illustration. I said, well, fix it. And he just stared at me. What? Fix it. I didn't come here for a tour. I need help. He said, well, we're going to fix it. He said, we're going to have to eventually do surgery. But before we do surgery, do you know what a halo is? And I looked at him and I said, angels, angels get their wings. 
And he goes, not that kind of halo. You see, son, what we're going to do is we're going to drill four screws into your head, two in the front, two in the back. We're going to attach that to a brace that's going to lift the weight of your head off of your neck. The swelling will be able to go down, and in a couple weeks we'll do surgery. We'll take a graph of your hip bone, and we'll fuse it to your third, fourth, and fifth vertebrae. It's the same break that Christopher Reeve, formerly Superman, has. You have that same break, and we're going to fix it. All I heard him say is, we're going to drill four screws into your head. That's all I heard. (laughs) We argued back and forth. Are there any other options? No. Is there any opportunity to do this differently? No. And as a result, we began the journey. And they fixed all that stuff to me. I had massive hardware attached. And then I'm done with that process. And they take me into the room that I would eventually be sitting in and resting, trying to recover before surgery. And as we went into this room, I had laughed, I had joked. Now it's just the neurosurgeon and I. And for some reason, he chose to stay all the way through the process. And he looked at me at the end and he said, Hey, listen, I'm going off duty. But before I leave, is there anything you need before I head out for the day? And I said, Listen, I just need just we've joked a lot. We've laughed. But I really need the reality check. Can you just give me an understanding? How long will I be in this state before I can return to my normal life? And he looked at me a little bit differently. And this face just changed. He said, I don't think I understand your question. Well, how long will I be in this kind of state before I can return back to the normal life, driving and and back to work and all the basics of being able to function? He looked at me and he said, son, I don't think that your definition of the word normal exists anymore. You see, since you've been in the hospital, you've not realized it, but you've not moved from the neck down. You see, your diagnosis is a quadriplegic. Abe, I'm so sorry, I thought you knew you'll never be able to move again. I'm so sorry, I thought you knew. And he turned and he walked out and he shut the light off. And as the light went out in this already dim room, it felt as if the world was getting darker and darker and darker. And I'm trying to process it as fast as possible. And it's foggy. It's starting to get foggy in my life in that moment I tried to move my hand and nothing happened I tried to wiggle my toes nothing happened I tried to physically get out of the bed I sent the message to my body but nothing was responding and I'm so overwhelmed right now and fear has gripped my life in that moment I began to argue with God and I began to cry out to him tears are coming down my face and I can't even touch them because I can't move And in that moment, I'm telling God everything that I've done for him. I'm trying to give him my resume. I'm trying to prove that I've been faithful. And in the midst of it, all I see are all the dreams and the hopes and my future plans. I see all of them being flushed away. The idea of marriage is now not a possibility because the person I want to marry should never have to be stuck as a permanent caregiver in my life. I won't even be able to kneel down to propose. All of that, I saw it as flushed. The idea of being a pastor and serving, that was the call of God on my life. And now all I see is there's no way I can function and I see it lost every dream is now gone and out of anger and frustration I am calling out to God what I didn't realize was in the room not far away was a group of leaders from our church friends and family members that were praying on my behalf and still had no idea of what my diagnosis was somebody had brought a cd player to the hospital I don't know how many of you remember or even know what that is 
But they placed a CD player because they wanted worship music continually playing so that the presence of God would be thick in that room as I entered. They had no clue I was in that room and I had no clue that music was playing. And I'm crying out to God, scared out of my mind, and all of a sudden I hear a song that is familiar to me. I'm a former worship leader. I was a music pastor in in a church. And this was a song that was so familiar. I had led it hundreds of times, but I had never listened to the words that I'd actually sung. In that moment, it's quoting what Psalm 41 says. You've taken me from the miry clay and set my feet on a rock. The chorus says, I love you. I need you. Though my world may fall, I will never let go. You know what? I had sung it. I had led it. I had encouraged others in that direction, but I had never been faced with it. And for the first time, fog was now beginning to take over everything. And I heard the words and I prayed a prayer. And I'd love to tell you that it was a prayer of great victory, but honestly, it was a prayer of defeat. And in that moment, I said, God, I don't understand what any of this is. But I guess if this is what you have for my life, then I'm going to be a quadriplegic that worships you. I closed my eyes and I went to sleep, mainly because I was on a lot of medication at that time. (laughs) I woke up anywhere from one to two hours later. And as I came to, there were two nurses in the room and those nurses began to look at me and everyone was nervous about me eating or drinking anything. I out of my uh, room, I could actually see a McDonald's. You know this? Never in my life have I ever craved craved McDonald's until somebody tells me I can't have McDonald's. (laughs) I wanted a Big Mac. And the only thing that they would allow me to have was ice chips. And one nurse said, you know what? Would you like some ice chips? No, I want a Big Mac. I want fries. I want I want another quarter pounder with cheese. Man, that sounded good. Ice chips would be wonderful. Thank you, ma'am. And she leaves to go get it. Out of the corner of my left eye, I could see the original picture of ice chips. There was one nurse left and I said to her, ma'am, excuse me. There's a picture of ice right over there. Can you get that? She said, the lady will, uh, the nurse will be back. She'll get that for you. No, no, you don't understand. It's already here in the room. And then the nurse said, where? And in that moment, I'm angry. Seriously, you're going to ask a guy who can't move where something is? You're a mean nurse. (laughs) But you're not allowed to say those kind of words when they have that kind of control over your life, right? (laughs) I said, ma'am, actually, it's to my left, your right. And you know what she did? She looked in the opposite direction. And as she looked in the opposite direction, I was filled with rage. And the reason I was filled with rage, I felt this is what my life is going to be for the rest of my life. I want to communicate something and no one is going to understand what I need. They're going to do the opposite and it's going to frustrate me. This is my life. And out of anger, I took it out on this lady. I said, ma'am, if you'll just open your eyes and see, it's just right there. And she's now angry at me. And she said, where? And we began to exchange verbals back and forth. Where? There, where, there. And I finally yelled, it's right there. And my hand shot up and pointed and we both got nervous. She became nervous because she knew I was a quadriplegic and I'm not supposed to move. I became nervous because I was scared that I'm going to be frozen like this for the rest of my life. Can you imagine walking into a room and seeing that guy? She left the room because she wanted to figure out what was wrong. And I said to God, on the count of three, I'm going to try and do this again. God, ready? One, two, 
three. And the finger was back. The fingers were back. The entire right arm had come to life. My legs immediately were um, awoken. Everything had returned with the exception of my left arm. In that moment, doctors began to come in and they began to do tests. Nobody could understand what had happened. I remember one doctor saying to me, I have practiced medicine for over 40 years. And I can tell you that medical science cannot prove why there are some of you like you that have the ability of function. And I remember saying, his name is Jesus. He's my healer. One doctor said to me, I can tell you that I have seen evidence of a being that's higher than ourselves. And I smiled and said, his name is Jesus. He's my healer. In that moment, I remember one doctor even saying to me, maybe it's because you're a pastor that this has happened. I said, no, it's despite the fact that I'm a pastor. I would love to tell you that it was the greatest moment of victory and that the fog only lasted for a couple hours. Unfortunately, that's not my journey. For the next 101 days, what should have been moments of great celebration, moments of triumph and victory, to the opposite, it was the deepest, darkest moments of my life. Fog had changed the perspective. For 101 days, I battled with depression, anger, rage in some cases. I blamed a lot of it on medication, but honestly, it was all things inside because fog had set into my life. Church, the reason I walked across all of this area and got to this place today and left our church home was for this one reason. I believe that many are in this house today and fog has set in because of crisis and chaos and issues and circumstances that you are in the midst of. And I want you to hear me. He's the one that's still with us. Scripture says in the book of... I'd love to have the prayer team come forward. And as the prayer team is coming forward today, Scripture says in the book of Psalm 23, verse 4, It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And then it says, why? Because he is with us. Can I tell you, I don't understand why. I can't explain how. I can't tell you the yes or the no's. What I can tell you is in the midst of fog moments, there was a mission that I was given. But it took years to understand what God had for me. If I had the clarity to see what it meant to pursue, overtake, and without fail recover all, it would have been one of the greatest joys to celebrate those moments of fog in my life. But to the opposite, I battled it so much that I struggled. Now, I eventually pursued. And I eventually was the byproduct of overtaking the enemy. And what the enemy intended for harm, God has used for his glory. And today, I want you to hear me. I'm the byproduct of what it means to recover all. Everything I lost, I still have daily pain. Every single day, I battle issues that are associated. But I no longer live there. Why? Because he is with me. And for those that are in those fog moments... That's the prayer that we have for you as well, that you'll be able to have the clarity to see what God is doing. One of the greatest joys of my life is when I get to go back to hospitals. I have the privilege of every so often going in for checkups. And I love it because some of my records still show that I'm a quadriplegic. 
Now, some people would be excited about that because that's a moment to give honor and glory to God. And it is. And I get to share Christ and the healing power of Jesus and His supernatural touch over my life every time. But I'm also evil. And sometimes I just mess with the doctors. One doctor once looked at me and he said, So, tell me, just came in and just was looking at the paper. You feeling any sensation? Can you begin to feel anything in your arms? Yeah, every so often. And then I'm laughing. Wait, he doesn't even notice. Nobody's here. There's no wheelchair. I'm just laying on a table right now. Well, this is going to be fun. I remember he was so focused on the piece of paper. All I decided to do was roll off the table and see if I can get his attention. Why? Jesus is my healer. See how that works? Today, I want to pray for you. Because I don't want you to live in the fog any longer. Will you bow with me today as we pray? Father, we thank you for this day and this privilege of gathering. And I thank you for those that have gathered this day seeking hope. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you would just say, you know, I'm in the midst of a fog moment in my life and I need you to include me in your final prayer. Can I just ask you, will you do something very bold and brave? Will you just raise up your hand and say, please pray for me. Keep me in prayer. Wow, multiple hands today. Father, you know every situation, every circumstance, and I thank you that this day we get to come to you seeking your face, knowing that you're the one that has given us the ability to see beyond the fog. Help us, Lord, to have that vision to pursue, to overtake what the enemy intended for harm, and without fail, Lord, recover all that you have for us. Lord, I thank you for this church and pray blessing upon the leaders and ask for your guidance and direction as they go and experience greater things for your kingdom purpose. Thank you for Bridgeway. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Can I encourage you, if you have prayer or you need somebody to stand with you, there's some leaders that are down front. It'd be a great joy for them to join you. God bless you, and thank you for allowing me to join you today.